0: kingdom, the nation of Israel was divided. The northern kingdom, of course, had drifted very far from the Lord, really from its inception, from the time of the civil war that broke out. I want to read to you the first six verses of Hosea chapter 12. Ephraim, that word refers to the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judas. When the nation broke, the nation of Israel split you had the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. The southern kingdom, which became known as Judah. Another name for the northern kingdom was Ephraim. Ephraim feedeth on wind and follows after the east wind. He daily increaseth lies and desolation. And they do make a covenant with the Assyrians and oil is carried into Egypt. That's significant and I'll deal with that. The Lord also hath a controversy with Judah and will punish Jacob. According to his ways, according to his doings, will he recompense him? Verse 3, he took his brother, referring to Jacob, back at the start, going back to this really start of the nation of Israel, going back to the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed, he wept and made supplication unto him, and found him in Bethel. And there he spake with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord God is his memorial. Therefore, turn thou to thy God. Keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we ask your blessing upon the service today. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. Please guide what I say. Lord, I pray that I'd stay true to your word. Lord, that it would help us, that it would strengthen us. Lord, so do the work that needs to be done. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, there's never been that that genuine conversion to you. Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing. That even this morning they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, please help me. Help me to speak clearly and not to hinder your word. Lord, I love you and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God had been pleading with the northern kingdom to repent, to turn to him. They had been choosing to turn from God really again since their inception with Jeroboam the first. And God, just like we looked at on Wednesday night, is an example of a nation that God gave over to themselves. So the question is, when that takes place, is there no hope? Well, there certainly is hope as we see here. God will send to the northern kingdom three major prophets. All three prophets come with a message of hope and of warning. The hope is to repent and turn to the Lord and the warning of what will take place if you don't. Those three prophets that the Lord sent would be Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. This book here is written 2,700 years ago, is when the book of Hosea would have been written. But it is amazing how practical it is, even for us, especially in the position we find ourselves in as a nation. Hosea is basically in the middle between Amos and Isaiah, although they are all pretty much contemporaries. And it's interesting, I pointed this out when we went through the book of Hosea a couple of years ago. One thing I always enjoy when I compare Amos and Hosea is, even though they're contemporaries, they were very different. Amos, you know, from that rancher, he was hard nosed. He was the hard preacher, he was the preacher who was always stepping on your toes. Hosea was very different. Hosea was the Jeremiah to the northern kingdom. He was the weeping prophet to the northern kingdom, just like Jeremiah would end up being to the southern kingdom of Judah when they turned from the Lord. Amos is considered the prophet of the law, whereas, whereas uh, uh, Amos is more considered the prophet of the heart, where, where Amos dealt with him breaking the law of God, and Hosea deals with the nation breaking God's heart. Amos, or Hosea, and his ministry lasted somewhere between 50 and 80 years. All the prophecies that he ends up giving in this book are fulfilled in his lifetime. He will witness his nation going into bondage, being just devastated by the Assyrians. If you wanted to write it down, you wanted to read what was taking place during the time of Hosea, you would read 2 Kings chapter 14 to chapter 20. So what the nation looked like when Hosea wrote this, the country is in a mess. Uh, The current king of Israel is actually a pretty capable king. Israel was actually fairly strong when he wrote this. Um, During the time of Hosea, they would even take a portion of Damascus, uh, making it a part of Israel's territory. The economy was fairly decent. However, in spite of all this perceived success on the outside, what the problem was on the inside with massive decay taking place from within the kingdom. I'm going to quote from uh, one commentator who had much more knowledge and had studied out what the northern kingdom was like during the time of Hosea. And he said this. He said it was filled with murder, bloodshed, Adultery, sexual perversion, drunkenness, uh, accompanied by utter indifference to God. debauchery, lawlessness, and violence ran rampant everywhere. Adultery was consecrated as a religious right by this time. There was no settled foreign policy of the nation. Those in power vacillated between alliance with Egypt and appeasement of Assyria, two dominant powers during this time. Israel had entered into uh, what Baxter called the last lap of iniquity by the time Hosea's writing takes place. Now, the cause of all this chaos within the nation was certainly directly tied to one thing. That was the abandonment of their faith. This goes back to the start of the nation under Jeroboam I, who who was responsible for the beginning of the nation turning away from God. You want to know why? Because he determined we can worship God how we want to. He established his own way to worship Jehovah God. That started all of this. We're seeing that take place across our nation right now, that, that people, even churches, claiming to believe in Scripture, claiming to follow God just like the nation of Israel did, all of a sudden determining we can follow God as we choose. Forgetting that He is a holy and a righteous God. That it's not just sincerity that God wants, which He certainly wants, but it has always been sincerity based in truth. <clears throat> he was the one, Jeroboam I, who had set up the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. He led the nation into idolatry. Remember, because the nation had split, he certainly didn't want any of his people having to head to Jerusalem, which was mandatory to worship. So he established his own way to get it done. The text that I read here this morning that I want to use for this Memorial Day is a text of an example of where God pleading with the nation or showing them how they could, in fact, still return to the Lord. It certainly is appropriate for our day. So what does someone need to do if they want to return? Maybe somebody who's even been converted or somebody who knew truth. We can look at this at a personal level as well as on a national level. Maybe you're living, living your life the way that you want to. You're far from God and you know it. Maybe, maybe even you're faithful to church, but you know in your heart you are far from God. How do you return? Well, in this text, God certainly does give the formula for getting right with him. It's pretty amazing, too. This will help us when we drift. It will help us, encourage us to try and stay right and stay close and stay focused. It's a key for our own nation. What we have to remember as our nation is this. When we look at our nation as this corporate entity... Somehow we have the image that has to start at that level. It never does. It starts in our own homes. It starts there. So first, what happens in our text, we'll start off with here, is God demonstrates once again Israel's current condition. I want to read the last verse of chapter 11 though. Ephraim compassed me about with lies. In the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah yet ruleth with God, and is faithful with the saints. Ephraim feedeth on wind, and followeth after the east wind. He daily increaseth lies and desolation, and they do make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried into Egypt. So right here what God is doing is He's, he's showing us what Israel is currently like. And He's going to show where they need to get to, and how to do it. He says, right now, one way that characterizes this nation is they're full of deceit. This is dealing with saying one thing with your mouth, this word, but yet your heart is far from the Lord. It's claiming one thing with your mouth, but again, you're so far from God in reality. It's trying to serve God as you see fit, instead of based on anything that's true. See, the dangers when we're away from the Lord, the, the, one of the biggest the dangers of, of deceit of your own heart is this, is you can deceive your own selves. You can convince yourself that the evil you're in is fine. You can convince yourself that the direction you're taking, it's okay. This is what was happening in the nation of Israel. They were convinced. Listen, we're all right. God understands. It was the prophets they were dismissing. They just, they, the prophets needed to get with the time. <clears throat> when you begin to lose sight of the holiness of God the Creator, you can so easily begin to deceive your own heart. But it's when you begin to draw close to the holiness of God. We don't like that word today. But understand how important it is. It's when you begin to see the holiness of God. You can begin to recognize the vileness of your own heart and how much you desperately need Him. As Jeremiah 7, chapter 17, and verse 9 tells us, our heart is desperately wicked. Full of deceit. He says in verse 1 of chapter 12, that they were feeding on, on these things that cannot feel them, feeding on the wind. Feeding on the wind obviously isn't going to help you. It's foolish. It's vanity. In other words, he's saying the nation right now, when he's describing, they're full of deceit, and they're actually going after things that in no way can actually satisfy them. It's like feeding on the wind. It'll never satisfy. He's describing the average person's life and then putting it together in the nation. It's, it's pure vanity. The farther you are from the Lord, the more you are given to vanity in your life. Many Christians today are giving their time, their energy to things that really have no eternal value. Multitudes of people striving to make it to the top. As if they think that's what life is about. Instead of seeing, no, it's actually about the Creator and understanding how to truly glorify Him with your life. We glorify Him by how we live each and every day. It's not about putting on a rock concert and the music take over and think that's glorifying God. That's not it. It's not. It's how you live your life on a daily basis. Recognize that when you get up in the morning, life is all about God. It's all about the Creator. And then you and your actions seeking to glorify Him. But multitudes think, if I just make it to the top, I'll be all right. And as I've done many different times, let me give a different one here. Those who have made it to the top where they, they find it's just vanity. They were feeding on the wind is what they found out. One of the greatest tennis stars to, in, in, ever is a man named Boris Becker, who I'm sure many of us are familiar with. I remember watching him going back to my teenage years and just being, I never cared to watch tennis, but when he did play, he was, I liked watching him. <clears throat> When he was at the very top of his career in tennis, what most did not know, he was also on the brink of suicide. This is what he said, a direct quote from Boris Becker. He said, I had won Wimbledon twice before. Once, as the youngest player, I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. The old song of, of movie stars and pop uh, uh, the old song, uh, excuse me, let, let me read that again. It is the old thought of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything and yet they are so unhappy. I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. He was miserable. He was talking about when he was contemplating suicide. When he got to the very top, it was vanity. He was feeding on nothing but wind. We also see in verse 1. He daily increases lies and desolation. The sin was just increasing and increasing. The deceit more and more. Listen, the more sin, the more problems. It leads to destruction as we see here. It doesn't lead to meaning in life. Our nation isn't going to find meaning in life as a pulls from God. It's just going to find more destruction and more despair. Disorder, confusion... And as we see in verse 1, they turn to man's wisdom to try and solve their problems. It says, and they do make a covenant with the Assyrians. And oil is carried into Egypt. They recognize the predicament they're in. The Assyrians are tough. And they are crushing nations. It was an impressive, without mercy, world power. But did they turn to the Lord? No. We got this. They turned to different economic measures. They turned to different... They, they tried to politic their way out of this mess. And it certainly did not work. They were using man's wisdom to try and protect themselves. Instead of going to the Lord. They were trusted in duplicity. They were trusted in manipulation for their own preservation. They made the agreement with the Assyrians... But, of course, when the taxes were way too much of a burden, they decided to try and get help from Egypt. Let's make another alliance. Listen, there's always a danger when your walk with God is not right and it's getting out of control. Because you're not going to go to the Lord for a dependence. You're going to try and figure out a way in man's wisdom to solve that problem. You're going to get into agreements you don't need to be in. You're going to make decisions for your life that in the end are just going to lead to destruction. It might allow for a temporal solution, but you lack the wisdom of God because your walk wasn't there. There wasn't a willingness to simply trust in God with what was taking place. And to go to Him and say, Lord, I need you, I need your help, I need your wisdom. But then he does deal with how does one come back. Verses 3 through 6. Look what he does here. It's interesting. He goes back to Jacob. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. And by his strength, he had power with God. He had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him and found him in Bethel. And there he spake with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Therefore, turn thou to thy God. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually. He gives the formula here. He starts off just like Memorial Day is a day of remembrance. What he wants them to do when he starts us off is to remember. He reminds them of their beginnings. He reminds them of their very father, Jacob, who would become Israel. He said, why don't you take time just to think back on the very start of all this and who Jacob was, who became Israel. Think back to your beginning. Jacob was a man who was a deceiver and a manipulator, but God changed him. The Lord certainly wants Israel here to follow in his steps to change them. To leave off the deception, to leave off the iniquity and turn to God. Our nation needs to remember their beginning. The fact of how we really started and why we had such a blessing on our nation. And sometimes, sometimes what we're seeing take place right now with God turning us over to ourselves, sometimes it does take that for a nation to finally realize how much they actually do need God when you come to the end of yourself. Think of what it took for the prodigal son to return. <clears throat> Sometimes, even at an individual level, you have to remind yourself of that time when you did have that fire and that desire, if you've drifted, of what it was like when you are just consumed with the Lord in your life. The Lord reminded him how Jacob was when when Jacob began to see what was truly important in life, that it wasn't his manipulation, that it was about God and how he sought God with tears and perseverance. Maybe there's a time you need to remember in your own life when you had to get a hold of God. When you had to have His blessing, when He was all that mattered. I remember one of the times that's important to me in my life was Again, going back to when I was 16, in the middle of my sophomore year, I, I'd been turning back to the Lord, and uh, you, you know the go over all that. Uh, the pastor led me to the Lord back when I was 12, 13. He had left. Church had no pastor. We finally get a pastor at the end of my freshman year. I was just getting in all kinds of trouble, but the new pastor arrived, and I began growing. But there was a significant event that I, I can still remember so much of that evening. The, the Lord had certainly gave me, I, I don't know what the word is, I don't know, favor is not the right word, it's just because it's used in the Bible that way, um, but the current pastor of the church had had a strong desire to see me grow. When he was doing something, if I, if I could be with him, he would take me. And he had called up, and he had said he was taking one of the deacons, and he said, hey, I want you to come with me. There's something called a sword conference. I didn't even know what that was. Now, those were pretty popular back then. And I'd never heard of one before in my life. And he said, I think you should go to this. And so I said, sure, I'll go. It was at a church in Akron, Ohio called Rimer Road Baptist Church. He picks me up and, and the three of us head out there to this meeting. It was, the, again, the deacon in the church, the pastor, and myself. And so we head out there and we're there. And there were two preachers that night. Two men preaching and I had, and one at the time was the editor of the Sword of the Lord, a man named Curtis Hudson. Um, he took over for John R. Rice. Uh, that was a paper founded by John R. Rice. When he died, Curtis Doxson took over. Curtis Doxson died uh, mid-90s, if I remember right, and Shelton Smith took over, and he's still the current editor of that. And, but I, had nev- I, didn't know who, I did not know who the men were preaching. I never heard their names for one time in my life, ever. Remember, at this point, I'd never been part of an independent fundamental Baptist church. This was the very first time i ever been part of a My church was not an independent fundamental Baptist church. And, and, I, and I remember just sitting there hearing this preaching. I'd never heard anything like it. And I just remember God getting a hold of my heart. When I left there, all I wanted to do was serve God. I did. I went back. They had preaching tapes you could order every week. Done. That's what my paycheck was going to go to if I'm working at Big Lots. I was, I was getting those preaching tapes every week, whatever they had. I wanted them. But I can go back to that time and I can remember when the only thing that mattered all of a sudden was God. That's who I had to get a hold of. That's what what truly mattered. Maybe you have those times in your life, you've got to remember, you've got to go back to that time when the Lord just got a hold of your heart and you had that glimpse and He was all that mattered. There's so much that can choke that. It causes you to be unfruitful in your life. The cares of this world all of a sudden get caught up with other stuff. We have to understand that the spiritual battle is genuine and it's real. But the Lord's still right there, just like that father with the prodigal son, just waiting for you to return, desiring for that to happen. Sending you you from, from preachers and prophets, begging you, please see it. Life's about me. You don't want to get to the end where you realize it was all vanity. I have been feeding on wind. And for our nation to return, it starts with us. just like that prodigal had to finally come to himself after he's sitting in that mud pit with pigs. He began to remember what he had back home. Remember what happened to him leaving. He got got so skewed, so his, his, he had a, he had a, a shift in thinking because different thoughts that came in that had poisoned his mind about ways of the world and he actually thought he was missing out on some things. And here he is, he he convinces himself, this is what I want, this is what's good. The father pleaded, this isn't it, this isn't the road. But uh, just give me my inheritance and let me go. But then when he's sitting there and his life is miserable, the difficulties have come in, there's nowhere to turn. He tried his own manipulation. He tried his own wisdom. Nothing worked. He's at the end of himself. And you can just see him sitting there. Now I know what I had when I was home. And you can even see that just a measure of repentance when he's going back. Maybe my father will just make me a servant. And we know the beautiful picture it is. When he decides with that genuine repentance of father running out. Put my ring. Get the shoes. Get the robe. I mean, incredible. The Lord always responds to repentance. It's what he's telling the nation of Israel right here. Remember. Remember back how this got started. Remember Jacob himself. How I changed him. How all of a sudden he saw life was all about me. And with perseverance and with tears, he sought me. So he wants them to remember. He wants them to follow the same steps of seeking God with all their heart. Of not letting go until they have the blessing of God. Listen, we need to determine to get a hold of God and allow God to change us. It was that day, by the way, don't forget. It was that day in the life of Jacob when he just wouldn't let go, God, I have to have your blessing. I know this is what it's all about. He understood everything's vanity apart from that. That's when his name was changed. From Jacob, a supplanter, to Israel, a prince with God, or a man with power with God. It takes that persistence like Jacob and not letting go. Don't quit. Even when discouragement steps in, you, you keep on going and you keep on going. Jacob began to understand that God was, in fact, as Christ would put it in his earthly ministry, the pearl of great price. They found him, it says, in Bethel house of bread or house of God. I think mean, that's important for us right now. Be found in church. Be found in a good, solid church. Be faithful. Be faithful. And returning. And again, it's not just the showing up that makes the difference. It's what you do when you're here. We can get so obsessed with the outward appearance of things that we never allow God to actually work on our heart. And then verse 6. <clears throat> he tells him to turn to God. Therefore, turn thou to thy God. It's a matter of making that decision that you're going to turn to Him to change directions in your life, to change the direction you are going. We're all familiar with that great verse in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. It deals with a nation changing, saying, okay, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble and pray and seek my face about genuinely turning to God in repentance, by the way, look at look the previous verse, what he reminded them of, of Jacob. Isn't this amazing? Verse 5. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Think of what he's telling them right there about Jacob himself as a man. He's saying, you think about Israel, you think about Jacob. What's he remembered for, he's telling them. What's his memorial? When you look back on Jacob's life, He's pleading with the northern kingdom. Think that. What's he remembered for? The Lord is his memorial. His desire for God. How God had changed him. How he sought after God. So he pleads with him to turn to God. He says, do mercy and judgment. In other words, these two actions are always related to each other. We need them. The Lord, what he's saying here is, is when, you, when you do turn to the Lord, your actions will produce fruit. There'll be evidence of it. And so he brings up two key themes here of judgment and mercy. Both things we need to do, mercy and judgment. Those are truly evidence of a heart that's turning to God. It's, it's, it's not just the judgment side of the house. <laughs> but it's mixed with Mercy. And so these will manifest the fruit. It'll demonstrate actions, but it'll demonstrate itself in how you treat others. Verse 6, in the last part, he says this. He said, you turn to God. You keep mercy and judgment. All right, you stay faithful. You're going to need mercy for this. You still have to keep my law. You keep judgment in place. And wait on thy God Continually. Again, this action is before God. It's going to demonstrate faith and trust. In other words, it's showing they recognize their own uniqueness and how, God, we need you. We see where these, what the Assyrians are doing. We see where Egypt is right now. We see our own weakness, Lord, and we certainly need you. Too many today want to, want to tout their own strength. They want to turn to their own ideas, their own humanism of strength within. No, we need to turn to God. America needs to see their need of God. Waiting on Him shows the, 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 the faith in trusting Him for guidance, for protection, for strength. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So He pleads with them. Listen, you turn to Me. It will demonstrate how you treat others with judgment and mercy. And you wait on Me. You trust Me to guide you. You trust Me to protect you. So they, it, this repentance to change, for this to take place, to follow judgment and mercy. Uh, for the nation of Israel, certain things would to have had to take place. The golden calves have to come down. They've got to come down. Started it all off. That has to come down. You have to ask yourself, right, what are the golden calves in my life? What is it that has to come down to demonstrate repentance? Where I can get to the place where it's affecting my actions in life. And I am actually waiting on God. In other words, walking by faith. Because when you are doing right and seeking God, you know what? Your life is not in vain. Just like he said in verse 5 with Jacob, Jacob's life wasn't in vain. How was he remembered? The Lord is his memorial. When you he said you think when you think back to Jacob, what do you think of? The Lord is his memorial. We think back on a man that God changed. We see a man who had to get a hold of God that stayed faithful from that point forward. Even though he started off as a deceiver, the Lord changed him. His memorial is not a ruined life. His memorial is the Lord Himself. Remember what God said in verse 1. Israel was simply feeding on the wind a life full of vanity But if they would come to him and turn to him, that would change. That would change. So let me ask you right now. If death was to find you, and the Lord was to pin in about your life, a Hosea chapter 12 and verse 5, what would your memorial be? What is it that you would be remembered for? If the Lord had to pin words down about your life, what would it be? If our nation is going to have a change, one, it does start with us. It does. We know we need that. We see that. But if my people, which are called by my name, if we'll begin to change our walk, say, Lord, what are the golden calves that need to come down? To see that life is actually all about God. To wait on Him. And then we'll see God respond just like He did with the prodigal son. But it starts with us. It starts with our own repentance and our own heart getting right and our own heart seeking the Lord. So with heads bowed and eyes closed...